Amen. Let me invite you one more time to take God's Word and turn with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. We are finishing up this glorious book this morning, and, and I'll be honest, um, it has been, I, I love preaching. I love preaching God's Word, line upon line, precept upon precept, but uh, the book of Ruth over the last five, this makes six weeks, has been just so special to my heart and ministered to my heart. And I hope and pray that you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed preaching it. And uh, so we are in chapter 4 this morning. Let me give out this announcement. Next Sunday morning, if you want to be reading ahead, studying ahead, we're going to begin a new study through the gospel according to Mark. We're going to start in Mark's gospel next Sunday and uh, walk through the, the life, the ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm looking forward to that as well. But uh, Ruth chapter 4, if you remember last week, Boaz agrees to redeem Ruth, but there's a snag in the plan. There is a closer redeemer, a closer relative than Boaz. And uh, Boaz, you remember, told Ruth, go ahead and sleep tonight, and first thing in the morning, I'm going to take care of it. And Ruth tells Naomi what's going down, and Naomi responds with, it's okay, just wait. I know the man. He's not going to rest until he settles the matter today. Well, today has arrived. And so in Ruth chapter 4, we begin in verse 1 to hear the conclusion of the matter. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi who has come back from the land of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. And take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the, ma the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Milon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Milon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. 
that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. And Amenadab fathered Naashon. And Naashon fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. And Boaz fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Redemption. That is a theme that runs throughout the pages of the Old Testament. The word redeemed or redemption is mentioned some 139 times in the Old Testament. And sometimes it's one of those words that we use, but we sometimes don't stop to think about what it means. The word redeem means to buy back. It means to purchase. It has the idea of recovering something that has been lost through the means of paying a price. And in the Old Testament particularly, people and possessions could both be lost and they could stand in need of redemption. For instance, property could be redeemed in the Old Testament. If someone was in a financial bind and they needed to sell their land in order to um, make ends meet, they would sell their land and in the year of Jubilee, that land would revert back to the proper owner. But if the year of Jubilee was far off, then someone could come and buy that land back for the person who initially sold it. They would redeem the land. Also, a person could be redeemed. If someone sold themselves into slavery because they were in need, because they were destitute, then a near relative, a close kinsman could come, pay a price for them, and purchase them out of slavery. And then the Redeemer the close kinsman, would also avenge the blood of a relative. If a relative was killed in cold blood, if they were murdered, then their closest blood relative was called in the Old Testament the avenger of blood, which meant justice was now in their hands. 
They could find the murderer, kill them in town square, and there would be no trial. There would be no questions asked because justice would have been avenged or justice would have been poured out on the murderer. But the person who was the avenger of blood was that near close relative, someone the Old Testament refers to as the Redeemer. Now, when you read through the book of Ruth, it's important you keep that custom. You keep that idea in mind. Because what we find in the book of Ruth is that Elimelech, that is Naomi's husband, he has died. His two sons have died as well. And there is a danger that Elimelech's name could be wiped out and be remembered no more, which was something that was a disgrace in Israel. Therefore, Elimelech is in need for a redeemer, someone who will marry Ruth because Naomi is past childbearing age and raise up a son, and that son would be considered Elimelech's, and that son would receive all that was Elimelech's as his inheritance. Elimelech, we know, has land. Because Boaz in chapter 4 says that Naomi is going to sell a parcel of land that belonged to Elimelech. Now, I don't know if Elimelech had sold the land before they went to Moab. I don't know if uh, because of the famine that the land was not tended or I'm not sure the condition of the land. Here's what I know. It needs to be redeemed. It needs to be purchased. And we know that in the story of Ruth, that Boaz is the redeemer. Ruth referred to him as her redeemer back in chapter 3. Naomi, back in chapter 2, realizes that Boaz is a close blood relative of Elimelech and that he fits the description of one who can redeem Ruth, who can buy back all that was Elimelech's, who can raise up a son in the, uh, in the stead or in the place And give him all that was Elimelech's so that Elimelech's name will not be wiped out from among the people of Israel. And we have watched as God has has worked in small, minute decisions that have gone on in Ruth's life. That have gone on with Naomi. As God is bringing these two people together, or Ruth and Boaz, to make sure that they come together. But last week we ran into a snag. You know, Naomi finally says to Ruth after she's finished threshing or gleaning all the harvest, it's time to get the move on. Uh, You dress up, put on some perfume, go down there to Boaz, uncover his feet at night, and tell him to do the rites of a redeemer. He'll know exactly what to do. So Ruth does that. Boaz goes to sleep, wakes up at midnight. Ruth's at his feet. About scares him to death, and he said, who are you? And uh, she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Uh, Here I am. Do your duty as a redeemer. And Boaz says, I will. But there's a snag. There is one person who is closer kin to you, to Elimelech, than I am. That person has to have the ability or the right or the opportunity to redeem you first. And so, go back to Naomi. Don't go empty-handed. Hold out your dress. She holds out her dress. He fills it full of barley. And he sends her back to Naomi with a dress full of barley and with the promise, I will settle this matter in the morning. Well, now morning has come. Now is the moment where we realize or we see whether or not Boaz is going to be a man of his word. Is he going to redeem 
Ruth? Is he going to marry Ruth? What's going to become of this second kinsman, this closer kinsman? So here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to look at chapter 4 closely. And I want us to look at it and see what Boaz does here in chapter 4. And then as we work through chapter 4, we're going to take a step back. We're going to put on our gospel lenses. And then we're going to see how chapter 4 actually foreshadows. How chapter 4 gives us a preview of a coming redeemer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because really, the story of Ruth and Boaz is not a story of just Boaz and Ruth. It's not a great love story. The story of Boaz and Ruth is the story of the gospel. It is the story of a redeemer who purchases a bride for himself. It is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious church and the redemption he has provided for her. So let's jump into chapter 4 this morning and let's start by thinking about Boaz and redemption. What does Boaz's actions in chapter 4 teach us about redemption? Well, first it shows us that redemption has requirements. You can't just take it upon yourself to be a redeemer. You have to meet certain requirements in order to be a redeemer. And Boaz meets those requirements. For instance, it requires the right person. Boaz, in verse 1, goes up to the gates of the city early in the morning. And by the way, I just love the phrase, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. Boaz had gone up. The redemption of Ruth will take place on an elevated place. He had to ascend upwards in order to purchase her. While there, Boaz meets with the elders. He he gathers together ten elders, which I guess was the number of a quorum. And while he's sitting at the gate, here comes that close relative. Now, I don't know if Boaz had sent him word to come to the gate or not. Or I don't know if it's like, with Ruth going into Boaz's field, if he just by chance, as we would say, is walking by the gate of the city that day, but whatever it was, he walks by, Boaz sees him, and he calls him out. He says, turn aside, friend, sit here. Now, here's what's interesting. Boaz calls him friend. Um, That really is not a term of affection like we use when we say friend. The Hebrew word is the word almoni, which literally means so-and-so. So as he's coming by, Boaz sees him and he says, hey, so-and-so, that's what he says, come here, sit down. So he comes to Boaz and he sits down. Well, Boaz gathers together 10 elders in the city and brings them there as witnesses and he tells him the entire situation. Naomi's gone into Moab, she's come back, and now she's got a piece of ground, a piece of land, she's going to sell it, and I was going to redeem it, but you're closer kin to her than I am, so you redeem it if you want to, if you don't want to, I'm going to redeem it. I, I, I love what he says in, here in, uh, uh, where's it at, in, in verse number four, he says to, the, the, to the Mr. So-and-so, I thought I would tell you of it and say, bide in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But listen, but if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So Boaz is here. He says this, this, this Mr. So-and-so has the right to redeem it first. So he's going to give him the opportunity. And immediately, 
our hearts sink. If you're reading Ruth for the first time, and you come to the end of verse 4, your heart kind of sinks. Because what does Mr. So-and-so say? I will redeem it. And you're sitting there thinking, no, don't do it. We don't like you. We like Boaz. We want her to be with Boaz, not you. And then Boaz probably feels the same way. And then he has a light bulb moment. He realizes something. This guy could just be out for a piece of land. And so he says in verse 5, Now the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Now, what does this mean? Well, he's just reminding him of his responsibility. Guess what, Mr. So-and-so? You're going to buy the land, and it doesn't even get to be yours. Because you've got to take Ruth, and, and by the way, she's a Moabite. I don't know if he said that on purpose. Ruth the Moabite, all right? You've got to take her to be your wife. You've got to raise up a child with her, and guess what? That land is that son's. It's not yours. Now, Mr. So-and-so stands there. And he looks and he says, oh, wait. Oh, wait a minute. I can't do that. Why, I'm my own inheritance. You go ahead and redeem her. And, and you're sitting there and you're reading it and you're thinking, thank God, I am so glad that this is going down like this. But you know what's interesting? We don't know this guy's name. We never know his name. He's just Mr. So-and-so. And you know when the Bible specifically leaves out somebody's name, that's significant. Anybody who's anybody in the Bible has their name recorded in the Bible. I mean, those big genealogies, guess what? They may, they may kill us when we're doing our, our daily Bible reading, but their name's in the Bible. Yours isn't and mine isn't. Their, theirs is. Because anybody who's somebody in the Bible, the Bible traces their genealogy and the Bible gives us their name. Danny Aiken said of this guy that he refused to raise up the name of Elimelech and Milan. And in the process, he loses his own name. Well, Boaz meets all the right, right requirements. He's the right person. He is a close kin relative of, of, of Naomi or of Elimelech. He's got the means to purchase the field. He even has the desire to marry Ruth, to raise up a son, and to give that son all the inheritance that belonged to Elimelech. He meets the requirement. He's the right person. But redemption also requires the right price because now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. What's it going to cost? Well, Boaz jumps at the opportunity. As soon as the man says, I can't redeem it. Redeem it to yourself. I just have a picture in my mind. As soon as he says, I can't redeem it, redeem it to yourself, Boaz is bending over to un unlatch his sandal to get his sandal off as fast as he can so he can give it to the guy, which that's the way they settled agreements in, in, in that day and time. We signed 14 different contracts. They, they just took off their sandal and handed it to the other person. And, 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 and Boaz is saying, okay, I've got this. Takes off his shoe, gives it to Mr. So-and-so, and then listen to what he says in verse 9. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Milon. And also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Milon, I have bought to be my wife. 
to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. What's going on here? Well, Boaz has now made the purchase. He has bought the land. He has bought Ruth to be his wife. And now I don't know what he paid for. I don't really care what he paid for. All I know is that he paid for her and he bought her. And he purchased redemption that day. And my favorite word in verse 9, it appears twice. It's the little three-letter word, all. All. I have bought all that belonged to Elimelech, all that was Milon's, all that was Kilion's. Boaz purchased a complete and full redemption. There was not a pebble on the ground of Elimelech's that Boaz did not purchase. There was not some parcel of land somewhere that belonged to Milon that Boaz did not purchase. He purchased complete, full redemption. And now the people of the city knows what's going on. They've heard about Ruth. They respect Ruth. They love Ruth. And they know Boaz is the redeemer. And so now all the people break out with a celebration. And they speak a threefold blessing upon this union that's about to take place with Boaz and Ruth. What do they say? Well, look what they say in verse number 11. Here are the women and the people in the gates at the city say, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Why Rachel and Leah? Who together built up the house of Israel. Here it mentions the two wives of of Jacob. Those who through them the Lord built the house of Israel. May Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. Who through her offspring the house of Israel shall be established. Beloved, this blessing was answered in a mighty way because through Ruth would come Obed. Obed then would have a son named Jesse. Jesse then would have a son named King David. And if you trace it on out through Matthew's genealogy, there is someone else who is going to come who is going to establish the house of God forever. And that is the one who says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. From this union, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come into this world. Oh, this blessing was answered in a glorious way. And then they say, may Boaz be prosperous. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and may you be renowned in Bethlehem. They say, oh, may you not be forgotten. May your name live on in infamy. May people, when they hear the name of Boaz, may it demand their respect and their awe. Again, I remind you, Boaz is the central focus of a book of the Bible. And even in the New Testament, you find him mentioned as one in the, descendant, in the descending genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That blessing was announced as well. And here, one of the things I love about Scripture is the irony of Scripture. It has a way of coming full circle. And then there's one blessing that really just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And that is, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, why mention that? 
Well, the reason they mention that is because Judah and Tamar, their instance, I don't have time to go through all of it, but if you read Genesis 38, you can read about it. That's the first instance in the Old Testament of a leveret marriage. That is, of uh, a close kinsman raising up the name of the dead. Now, Tamar and Judah's situation was a little bit more scandalous than Boaz and Ruth. Tamar was married to, Ruth, to Judah's son. One of them died. Judah gave her the other son. He died. Judah had a young son that he kept away from her because he thought Tamar was a, was, was a black widow. I mean, she, she's bad news. Uh, and she had to dress herself up like a prostitute and trick Judah into sleeping with her so she could get pregnant. And one of her sons, she had twins, one of her sons was Perez. I mean, that was scandalous. But do you know who descended from that line? A man named Boaz. And isn't it interesting that one who descended from a scandalous leveret marriage is now taking the steps to redeem someone in a leveret marriage, but doing it in a right way, in a glorious way. In fact, Tamar, with Judah's situation, was more righteous than Judah was. But here we are now. And they said, may your house be like that of Perez. And by the way, guess who else descended from Perez? The Lord Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful picture of how scandalous grace is. But we are reminded that, that redemption has requirements. But we also see that redemption has rewards. Now what happens after Boaz redeems Ruth? What happens after Boaz um, takes Ruth, purchases the land, and, and, and goes forward? Well, what happens is this. We see that redemption provides restoration. Now look in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. So there's the wedding bells. There is the, the moment we've all been waiting for. Ruth 4.13 gives us exactly what we want. We want Boaz and Ruth to wed, and now they are married. But notice this. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, this is remarkable. And I'll tell you why this is remarkable. One, it shows us that conception is a sovereign work of God. It is the work of God. But it also shows us something else. It shows us how remarkable God's timing is. Ruth was married to Milon for about a decade. How many children did she bear? Zero. None. Had she borne a son... To Milan, she wouldn't have needed redeemed. That son would have received all that was Elimelech's. But they didn't. And now the way it appears, it appears as if as soon as they consummate the marriage, God quickly gives them conception. And she bears a son. What a remarkable picture of God's working in and through this situation. And, and, and why is this son significant? Why? Because, listen, up to that point, Naomi and Ruth, all they had was death. All they had was hopelessness. All they had was sorrow. But now comes the son. And when the son is born, everything in their life now changes. Look 
as the child is born, what the women say of Naomi. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Listen, they're not talking about Boaz here. They're referring to the child as the redeemer. Because the child now is the one who's going to receive all that they had. So they're saying the Lord has blessed you. Because now Elimelech's name has been saved. Now his name that looked like it was going to vanish away has received life from the dead. And this child is going to restore you. You've been redeemed. And then the child is going to replenish you. Look what they said. They said, he's not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Again, they're saying, may the name of this child, may the name of your offspring, may it be renowned in Israel. May you be well known and well thought of and praised for what you'll do. And he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. They're saying, listen, this, this baby, he's going to replenish you. He's going to rejuvenate you. You're going to find energy that you did not know you had. And you know, don't grandchildren just do that to grandparents. I mean, I've never seen anything that can get people souped up, full of energy, excited, like becoming a grandparent. They become instant hypocrites on the spot as soon as they become grandparents. Yeah, they do. Mom and dad would kill me for some of the stuff that they encourage my daughters to do. Oh, yeah, you want to play with a knife on the kitchen table? Here you go, have it. Carve your name in it. I'll save it for later. It'll be a keepsake. Yeah, I couldn't put a cup on the table. <laughs> I'm like instant hypocrites right there. But you know what? You find, you find the energy. You're rejuvenated. You see that baby and, and, and you get excited. That's how Naomi felt. Long gone is the Naomi of chapter 1 who's saying, God hates me. God's out to get me. He's out to destroy me. Ruth, you better get away from me because I'm bad news. Now she holds that baby in her hands. And now she is so excited about what God has done. And the women say, yes, he's going to provide life for you. And oh, by the way, they even sing the song of praise to Ruth. What do they say about Ruth? Oh, they say your daughter-in-law loves you. Who's more to you than seven sons has given birth to him? Yet Naomi, it was heartbreaking when you buried Milan and Kilion, your sons. But look at Ruth. She loves you. She stood by you. And she has been more to you than seven sons could have been to you. You needed, you needed food? What did she do? For five months she gleans. You needed encouragement? There she was by your side. She has been your rock. And, and now, here we find Ruth, or here we find Naomi, no longer depressed, but she's delighting. No longer sorrowful, but she's joyful. And she has been restored. That baby represents life from the dead for Naomi. Redemption provides restoration. But also redemption provides celebration. Look what happens in verse 16. It says, Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap. And she became his nurse. Just as Moses' mother put him in the bulrush, was found by Pharaoh's daughter, and went out to find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby, guess who they chose? Moses' mother. Here, Naomi is going to have the privilege again of nursing a baby and taking care of 
the baby. And the name of the child was Obed. It's one of those things where it says that the women give the child the name. They named the child Obed. Uh, it, it, one of the things with, uh, with, with, with uh, Papa Judge, Mamma Hortense, and, and that generation, uh, when, when we were gathered around talking about them all the time, we were asking, what's their real name? What is their name? Is it Judge, Ambers, Hortense, Lina? What, what is it? And, and apparently folks were talking that when kids were born, they wrote anything. They, the midwife wrote whatever she wanted to write on the birth certificate. Parents can call them one name their entire life, but if the midwife wanted to give them a name on their birth certificate, they just wrote it down and went on their, went on their merry way. Um, that's almost like what the happened here with, 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 the, with the women at Ruth. What did they do? They just, hey, his name is Obed. Don't miss this. Do you remember what they call Obed at the beginning of this song of praise? He's not left you this day without a what? A redeemer. Obed, the redeemer. And here's what we've got. We've got a picture of a, Obed means servant. Servant. And here we've got a picture of a servant redeemer. A redeemer who is a servant. And that is cause of great celebration. And they sing his praises. They sing her praises. And there is just joy now in their midst. Because from this son is going to come King David. Redemption also provides admiration. If you can't read the book of Ruth and be blown away and admire what God does through ordinary circumstances, then you need to reread the book of Ruth <laughs> because God is sovereignly working in what we would consider insignificant things to bring about his plan. Now, why does the book of Ruth close with these, gene these genealogies, with this generation? Well, first, it starts at Perez and goes all the way to David, 10 generations, you know, Ruth likes the idea of ten generations, the book of Ruth. They say, may your house be blessed like the house of Perez. And so guess what? From Perez to King David, there's ten generations. And always in Scripture, two numbers stand out, number seven and the number ten. And do you know who is the number seven in the genealogy mentioned? Boaz. Do you know who's number ten? King David. But that's not the only 10 that's significant in the book of Ruth. Brian called me and he mentioned this to me. And I trusted him, but, you know, I, I've got a little Ronald Reagan. I mean, you trust but verify. And so I wanted to verify. And it was right. He said, have you ever noticed that there are 10 generations from Abraham to Boaz? From Abraham to Boaz. Boaz is the 10th in that line. Um, and, and, and do you know? That the Old Testament said what? Said that a Moabite is not to enter into the camp of Israel up to how many generations? Ten. So do you know what Boaz's son would have been? Would have been the eleventh. And thus he's welcomed with open arms. Beloved, this is not coincidence. This is sovereign providence. And now, at the end, in chapter 4, what began with three funerals has now ended with a wedding and a birth. Naomi has gone from emptiness to fullness, from sorrow to joy, from heartache to happiness, from death to life. Why? Because she had a redeemer. 
There was someone who was worthy and willing and wealthy enough to redeem her and to raise up the name of her husband. Now, I told you we're going to put our New Testament glasses on here in just a minute. Because do not miss this. The book of Ruth is about so much more than just Boaz and Ruth getting married, having a son, and Naomi being happy. It is about the gospel. Augustine said that the new covenant, the New Testament, is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And so what we have in Ruth is we have a foreshadowing of what's going to take place with someone else. And the story which it foreshadows is far more glorious than the story of Boaz and Ruth. In fact, the story that Boaz and Ruth, that it foreshadows, so far eclipses Boaz and Ruth. It eclipses it more than the sun's light eclipses that of a lightning bug because of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do. Let's think about Ruth, and then let's think about the eternal redeemer. Let's think about Jesus and redemption because Naomi's story is much like our story. We are like Naomi in the sense that our story begins with sorrow, with sadness, with hopelessness, with death, as we are excluded from the people of God, as Adam has sold our inheritance through his sin, we are outcast. We have lost our spiritual inheritance. And thus, life has been forfeited. Joy has been forfeited. Fellowship has been forfeited. And we are lost. But the good news of redemption is that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into this world as a man, as someone who put on flesh and blood. He came to this earth as our Goel, as our kinsman redeemer. That's why he had to become a man, to be our redeemer. And so today, I want to ask you this. Does Jesus meet the requirements of a redeemer? Is Jesus a worthy redeemer? I say, yes, he is and he was. Because when you read scripture, here's what you find. Jesus had the right to redeem. He was a worthy redeemer. Our inheritance was lost by a man. Therefore, it had to be regained by a man. And when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he came to this earth as a man. Think of that. The eternal son of God, who in eternity rested on the bosom of the Father, becomes a man and in time rests on the bosom of a virgin. The one who was the ancient of days in Bethlehem becomes the infant of days. Our story was dark, black, and hopeless, just like Naomi's. And what changed the entire storyline of Naomi was when that redeemer from Bethlehem showed up. When the Redeemer from Bethlehem showed up, everything changed. 
And do you know that as mankind lay in sin and hopelessness, hope shone through the darkness when our Redeemer came into this, into this world and guess of all places where he was born. You, Bethlehem and Ephrata, though you are the smallest among the tribes, yet out of you will come the ruler. That night in Bethlehem, when you heard the cries of that newborn babe, it was not just any other babe. The, that was the voice that spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. That was the voice that said, all I've made is very good. That was the voice who spoke and all the world came into existence. Now he's crying and uttering unintelligible things. His hands that scooped out the ocean beds, that carved the mountains, now wrapped around the index finger of his mother. Why? Why? He did that in order to become a redeemer, in order to be a man. Jot this down. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise also took part of the same, that through death, he might destroy him who had power of the death, that is the devil. And through, and, and, and through death, redeem them, save them who were all their lifetime subject to bondage through fear. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? The writer of Hebrews is saying that he became just like those he was saving. In order to be able to save them, he became a man, which means what? Which means he is our near kinsman. He is the second Adam, the one close kin to all of us because God hath made of one blood all peoples on this earth. And so Jesus comes as a human being, as our rightful redeemer to redeem. But Jesus also not only had the right to redeem, Jesus had the resources to redeem. Now Boaz paid money for Ruth. Boaz paid money for the land. I don't know how much he paid, but I promise you this, it was an expensive price. But although I don't know how much Boaz paid for Ruth, it pales in comparison to the price that Jesus paid to redeem his bride. Peter put it this way, for as much as you know, you were not redeemed from this corruptible world by corruptible things from silver or gold or from the vain conversation received by inheritance from your fathers. But how were we redeemed, Peter? How were we bought back? How were we purchased? But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world for you. Peter says, make no, make no bones about it. The price of our redemption is far greater than anything this world has. It's far greater than all the money in Wall Street. It's far greater than all the gold that is still in the earth. It is far greater than any material price you could put on it. What did he pay? He paid for us with his red, royal, crimson blood. Paul says in him we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins through his blood. 
And just as Boaz climbed that hill that morning to go to the gate to buy his bride, 2,000 years ago outside the city walls of Jerusalem, we find our heavenly Boaz climbing up another hill. This is not a hill where he's going to be admired by the onlookers. This is not a hill where they will sing his praise and say, may his name be known in all the gates of the city. No, as he marched up this hill, he's mocked, he's beaten, he's bloodied, he's spat upon, he's laughed at, but yet he goes to the top of the hill. And as he goes to the top of that hill and he lays down on that cross and he stretches out his hands and a Roman soldier nails his hands and his feet to the cross and they lift him up there for all to see naked in shame in our sin and in our place. There goes our Boaz to purchase and buy a bride for himself. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. Once for all into the only place he entered, not in a place made by hands, but he enters with his own blood, having secured eternal redemption for us. What happened on the cross when Jesus died and he shed his blood? That was the price for our redemption. That was the price to buy us back. That was the price to save us. And when he goes to the cross... He bears our sin in his body on the tree and he dies. And when he dies, he's paid the price that the Father demands. He's met the righteous requirements of redemption. And so now redemption can be ours. Beloved, that's why we sing, Jesus paid it all. How much of Elimelech did Boaz buy? All of it. Every bit of it. It was a complete, full, final redemption. Can I say this to you this morning? Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary left nothing out. He purchased a full, complete, full redemption. That's why we sing Jesus paid it what? All, all. Some churches need to change that song to line up with their theology. Some people need to sing Jesus paid some of it. Some people need to sing Jesus paid it all up to the moment of my conversion. And some people need to sing. Jesus paid it to give me a 10-year lease on life. Because that's all some people think that he gives. Or, my least favorite, Jesus died to give me an until I mess up salvation. That's what he died to do. Yeah. No, beloved. If there was one little sin, past, present, or future of mine that he did not pay for. The writer of Hebrews is wrong when he says he purchased an eternal redemption. And we should just sing, Jesus paid some, Jesus paid most, or Jesus paid a lot of it. No, no. We sing what? Jesus paid it all. Which means the redemption he purchased for me is eternal. It will never cease. There'll never be a check returned to the blood bank in heaven that says insufficient funds found. Never. He purchased it and paid it all. He has the resources to redeem. And then he has the resolve to redeem as well. Boaz didn't have to redeem her. As a matter of fact, that 
Mr. So-and-so could have redeemed her, but guess what? He didn't want to redeem her. Too much of a cost to him. Oh, he wanted the land, selfish of himself, but when he heard that he would have to do a selfless act, have a child with Ruth, and the child gets all the land, not him, he says, oh, wait a minute, I can't, I can't do that. Oh, I won't redeem her. Go ahead and you, you, you redeem her. Now, I don't know if the elders spit in his face and called him somebody who would not redeem his, his uh, performance duties as a kinsman as the book of uh, Deuteronomy calls for them to do or not. But it was a disgrace that a redeemer didn't want to redeem. Is Jesus like Mr. So-and-so, that no-name redeemer who wouldn't do it? No. Did Jesus want to redeem us? Did Jesus desire to redeem us? Was Jesus a reluctant redeemer going up to the cross thinking, yeah, I'll do this, but it's just for the Father and, and I don't look forward to it and I don't want to do it, but, but just to please the Father, I'll do it. Is that the way he went to the cross? Can you imagine Boaz? When that first redeemer says, I can't do it, Boaz saying, well, you know what? You, you tried. Uh, I, I, I really don't want to. It's going to cost me a whole lot, but, but uh, it's the right thing to do. I'm just going to go ahead and redeem her. Is that the way Boaz was? Oh, Boaz is chomping at the bit. I mean, that guy says, I can't do it. Boaz done plucked off his shoes, handed it to him, and he said to everybody else, I bought it all. Here it is. He's excited. That's his bride. You know, yesterday at Jut and Allie's wedding, I didn't see Allie until she started walking down the aisle. I was watching Jut. <laughs> when, when, when she starts down the aisle, when she started down the stairs, and everybody stands up and turns around and, and, and looks. I, don't, I never look at the bride. I always look at the groom. Because there's just, I don't know, there's just something about it that is just, it, it, it's marvelous. When he sees his bride for the very first time, it's his bride, his. And the joy, the expectation that you see all over the face and in their eyes and the love you feel, it's wonderful. Now, do you think a, a groom standing there who loves his wife would say, well, you know what, well, I could, I'd, I'd much rather be watching a ball game here, <laughs> I'd much rather be doing something else. No, it's, it's a joy. It's his bride. Let me tell you something. When Jesus goes to the cross, he goes to the cross not reluctantly, but with resolve. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, no man takes my life from me. I had the power to lay it down, and I had the power to, lay it up, to raise it up again. And Hebrews 12 says, who for the joy set before him he endured the cross. How could Jesus endure the mocking? For the joy his bride would bring. How could Jesus endure the cross? For the joy his bride would bring. How could Jesus endure the wrath of God poured out upon him for all the sins of all of his people? How? Who for the joy set before him because he knew when he paid the price. He was not just dying to give people a hope, to give people a chance. He was dying to actually redeem, to actually purchase a people to God. Don't forget this, beloved. Boaz's action of redemption was not some crapshoot. No, he already had his bride 
when he paid the price. And so too, when Jesus goes to the cross, he knows as he goes to the cross, there is a bride awaiting him. How? Because they were given to him by the Father before the world began. And when he goes, he goes to redeem them, to purchase them, to buy them back to himself. Oh, beloved, he didn't die for a chance. He died for a guarantee. And thus, for the joy set before him, he endures the cross. And he purchases for us a complete, full, final, eternal redemption. And so today I ask you, have you been redeemed? Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? You say, how can this redemption, how can I experience this redemption? You have to know the Redeemer. And you only know Him through faith in Him. You believe that He died. You believe that He was buried. And you believe that He was raised again. And you put your faith and your trust in Him. And then the benefits of that redemption, you will know them personally. And you can rejoice in it eternally. Today, if you don't know Jesus, you are in a hopeless, helpless, dead condition by yourself. Your only hope is the Redeemer called Jesus Christ. And if you have never placed your faith and trust in Him, I ask you today to do it today. To do it now as we pray. Father, as I come to you in Jesus' name, I thank you for redemption. I thank you for your redeeming love that reaches out to lost sinners, outcasts, aliens from your household. And you call us to a relationship with you. You welcome us in. You purchase us with your blood. Father, I ask now for those who are here who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I ask that you would call them, that you would draw them to yourself that, Father, today would be the day that, they, that you would give them faith and that they would believe in Christ and run to Christ and trust in Christ. And, Lord, they would know the joy of the redemption that we experience in Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to become a man. Thank you that on the cross he bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, not live unto him. Father, we ask now that you would save. Do what only you can do. Draw people to yourself, and we'll give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name I ask, amen and amen.